Welcome to Gin and Gentlemen with me, Eleanor Hoxted, bringing the gin. And accompanied by a House of Commons chamber filled with gentlemen, Catherine Curzon. Uh, why are you bringing a House of Commons chamber full of gentlemen, Catherine? I have brought the chamber with me today because, although it's a little late, we are going to be chatting about the gunpowder plot. Yes, so if you may have noticed, on the 5th of November, remember, remember, the 5th of November, we had a book out called The Captain's Flirty Fireworks, which was set on Guy Fawkes Night. We did indeed. And although that was obviously several weeks ago now, as my gran always said, there'll be fireworks going off from now till New Year anyway. Exactly. So we thought we would talk a bit about the gunpowder plot. Yes. I'm imagining people in America might not know that much about it. No, they might not. And they will when they've listened to this. Exactly. You'll just be coming out of this going... Sheesh. I know all about that now. <laughs> but the reason that we're talking about this is because although our short story is a contemporary rom-com set on Guy Fawkes Night, obviously it was inspired, or well, we were inspired to write it by the fact that we could see fireworks already going up for sale and they were already going off mm-hmm. and I was moaning about it. And Eleanor sort of memorialised the connection in the name of her character. Yes, so um, Rob Monteagle is the fireman in the story, the hunky fireman, Um, (laughs) and I got his name from William Parker, 4th Baron Monteagle. Um, He received an anonymous letter which warned him not to not to go on a particular day to Parliament, uh, basically because otherwise he would have been blown to smithereens. Mm. Uh, and obviously he thought, well, that's, that's a, you know, that's a health and safety nightmare. So, so and it got, it, it's because of it. that foiled plot that we now celebrate Guy Fawkes Night. And before we get into our little history lesson, um, the short story is set, as we said, on Bonfire Night. Um, and obviously Rob has to go off and look after the village bonfire. Mm-hmm. But really, he'd rather be spending the night with the Jodhpur-clad Ollie Tresham, mm-hmm. who lives in the village and is the Olympic show jumping team captain. Yes. And they both rock up to the bonfire and, needless to say, ha, 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 sparks fly. Sparks fly. Yes, indeed. Um, so it's not a short story about gunpowder plotters getting off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really, like... Take off your hat with the long feather on it and... Uh... <laughs> Tickle my fancy. <laughs> but, as we said, that I'm not sure how widely the gunpowder plot is known outside of the UK. No. Um, but in England, it's something that we celebrate every year. And I've seen people refer to it as a celebration of a terrorist act. But I guess in some ways it's actually, well, it is a celebration of a deliverance from yeah. a terrorist Yeah, act. that's what I remember when I was a child. And when I, when I, you, you go to, in, in, in Britain, you go to uh, bonfire night parties, you just go to them, it's dark, there's fireworks, it's very cold and you wear two pairs of socks. But then at some point I, at school, they explained to us why we had it. And I was very confused as to why we were doing it because I thought... Are we? Is it? Is it a celebration of somebody trying to blow up Parliament? No. But it's not. Is it? It's. it's that's it's why going... we burn a guy. We burn that's an true. effigy of Guy Fawkes. So, he is now to the history part. It is. The gunpowder plot happened in 1605, um, and it was actually a plot to blow up the House of Lords, and the idea was that they would blow up the House of Lords at the state opening of Parliament. So everybody's in there. It's a big prestige occasion. Um, there'll be royals in there, everybody that runs the country, if you like. So the idea was, get them all yeah. once. And it was a plot by English Catholics, who obviously faced a lot of... Um, they had a hard time back then. Um, basically, it felt they weren't represented. Uh, there was a very sort of... A very hostile regime holding sway, and their way to deal with that was to just blow them all up. Hmm. So, there we go. Uh, I have to say, there is. I do have a personal connection, well, a distant personal connection with this, um, because Ambrose Rookwood, who was one of the conspirators who I believe was in charge of fetching the horses for them to make their getaway on, um, is my distant cousin. But the name Rookwood, it's such a good surname that I've used it in The Captain's Ghostly Gamble. There you go. So, there you go. How many other names from Gunpotter... Gunplotter... Plotters. Gunpowder plotters. Gunpowder 
conspirators will will turn up in other books. I don't know. Watch this space. Um, Not that many. I can't have a Guy Fawkes. <laughs> but I have to say, I did get quite annoyed after after Guy Fawkes Night once when um, there was a load of fi- bits of dead firework in my back garden that I had to clear up. And I was kind of collecting it up and going, this is adding insult to injury. One of my family was, was, was hung, drawn and quartered because of this. So You didn't uh, know him. Well, I didn't know him personally. <laughs> but still, it was annoying. <laughs> so, here we are. We're in England. And... We are, well, we're not, but the Catholics were feeling extremely disenfranchised. Um, So they decided to do something about it. And there'd actually been quite a few Catholic assassination attempts on different Protestant monarchs in Europe. Mm -hmm. And one of them had been, I don't know if it's anyone, but had been successful, which was the assassination of Francis Henry III, who had been stabbed to death. So it was a a real and quite prescient danger. And as we know, because the plot was about the House of Lords, it was something that the British Catholics, or these British Catholics, were thinking about doing themselves. Interesting fact, actually, about uh, Ambrose Rookwood. His family were also the Drury's, who were a Catholic family. Mm. And one of the Drury's died during this quite awful thing where a load of Catholics got together to hold a mass, which they weren't really meant to do, but they did Mm -hmm. it anyway. And this guy was a priest. He'd been in France, came back to London, and the floor collapsed and loads of them died. But it was kind of used as a way, the Protestants even used that to say, obviously God doesn't like Catholics, Mm. which is a bit bit much. It's not very sympathetic, that position, is it really? (laughs) But But in 1605, the king was James I. Um, And James's mother, Mary, Queen of Scots, obviously had been executed Hmm. and was considered a martyr. And a lot of supporters hoped that this would convert, make James convert to Catholicism too, but he didn't. Um, And there was also a hope that he would, if you like, speak up for Catholics, but he didn't do that either. No. The other interesting thing, of course, is that James didn't like witches either and there's this kind of merging of didn't this like much did they no <laughs> but it's interesting how they kind of in the in the 17th century in a lot of people's minds catholicism for protestants catholicism and like witchcraft they all mm. kind of smoosh together mm. so in a way it's not that surprising james didn't speak up for catholics because it, it's all part and parcel of a, a similar thing in that mindset i think yeah and james became particularly inflamed when um the pope sent his wife a rosary Oh, oh, yes. Can it me? And James got very upset about this. <laughs> and he very swiftly, far from supporting Catholicism, he very swiftly decided to get rid of it. So the first thing he did was order all Catholic priests out of the country and that they would be fined if they didn't go. And this was sort of the first thing that he did that started to make the British Catholics... A little bit worried. Well, it wasn't the first, but... Yeah, because if you're Catholic and there's no priests, that makes being a Catholic a bit of a challenge. Yes. And anyone who had enough money and obviously couldn't necessarily leave the country or continue to practice were hit with really high fines. Hmm. So this came out rather well for James as well, obviously, because they were making the equivalent of millions of pounds in fines every year. So obviously it was in his best interest to keep on levying those fines. But when James came to his first parliamentary session and gave his speech, which is obviously tradition that monarchs open parliament with a speech, he spoke very clearly about what he referred to as the true religion, Mm. which obviously for him was Protestantism. Mm. And it was an extremely clear message to Catholics that they weren't welcome, that there wouldn't be any more of them... Basically, they weren't going to flourish. Yeah. And that they would probably face more persecution as the time passed. Indeed. So the conspirators decided, or they started to think about, essentially getting rid of the king and getting rid of some other really big names who would be there with him. So, I mean, you could go around picking them off one by one with with a rather nice sword, or... You could just... I think somebody was sitting there with a flagon of foaming ale and said, do you know what? I've got a really good idea. Maybe a bit like Michael Caine. <laughs> no, sorry, I'll stop that. I hope they didn't say it like that. No. Um, but, they, you know, maybe maybe they just decided, actually, instead of just going around 
bumping them off individually. Let's just bump them off all in one go. And the idea was that once the king was dead and Parliament were out of the way, they could install Elizabeth on the throne as a Catholic monarch. And that's where the plan began. So the man who came up with the plot initially was Robert Catesby. But obviously we don't have Robert Catesby's knight. We have Guy Fawkes' knight. And Catesby had been a bit of an agitator in the past. Yes, but he was quite a dashing chap. He was a dashing chap. He sounds like one of our characters. He was a good-looking man, about six feet tall, athletic and a good swordsman. A swordsman indeed. Um, But Catesby summoned some pals to his house in 1604 and there he told his friends that what he wanted to do was get Catholic there he told his friends that what he hoped to do was get Catholics a foothold in the kingdom again by blowing up the House of Lords when the king was there it's interesting is it to wonder if this had actually worked would it have actually have worked like the way they thought or would that people have been even more uh, more anti-Catholic yeah because they Oh, yeah, so the Catholics would be more oppressed and the Protestants would be more anti-Catholic. Yeah. But maybe they just felt like they can't be more anti-Catholic than they already are. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. That's a really good point. Mm. Or Hmm. would we all be sitting here being Catholics? Or probably lapsed Catholics. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that was the plan. So Catesby invited Thomas Winter to his house to discuss the plot. Um, and slowly it began to evolve from just an idea, you know, the sort of thing that you might talk about over a beer, to an actual plot. And it was Wintour who, I think, recruited Guy Fawkes. Yes. I believe. Uh, Guy Fawkes was a chap from York. He was. Um, He was baptised in the little church that's next to the cathedral, so you can actually still see the church. Mm. And his family lived... Um, very nearby. He'd been a soldier in the southern Netherlands um, and he was recommended for a captaincy. Mm. So, again, uh, another dashing chap. Another dashing chap. <laughs> this, is, this is basically an entire podcast series about dashing chaps. It anyway, is, that's okay. So, <laughs> and he had also uh, been a member of the delegation to the Spanish court uh, a couple of years earlier where they were basically saying to the Spanish... Um, Por favor, help us invade, please invade England uh, and sort out those annoying Protestants once and for all. So I think it was fairly clear that if you were going to involve people in your plot, you'd want people who you suspected it wouldn't be a turncoat. Yeah. You know? so, so obviously Guy Fawkes yeah. clearly was quite into the Catholic cause, so Committed he could be trusted. Catholic, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, He's he says his Hail Marys and mm. yeah, he's a good he's a good Catholic boy. So the conspiracy began to grow. Mm-hmm. And it started to suck in people. And as people joined, they would bring with them other sympathetic characters, if you yes. like, to help. But as Eleanor said, that people that they knew they could trust, basically. Mm-hmm. So who had shown huge amounts of loyalty, long-term comrades, that kind of thing. Because obviously the last thing you wanted was somebody going to the authorities. Yes. A stoolie, a stool pigeon. A stoolie. A stoolie. So the... Like I could say the guys. <laughs> the guys. So the conspiracy. Guy and the guys. In, <laughs> as 1604, the conspiracy began to grow. And they met at a pub off the Strand to discuss what they were going to do. Mm. I think it's quite interesting with the pubs. People in the past, in, this, in, in, in England at least, pubs were very much a central part of people's lives. So mm. if you, it's not just where you go for a drink, it's where they have auctions take place in pubs um inquests into into unusual deaths take place in pubs um people would go to pubs uh, a bit later on to read the newspaper talk about what's happening um yeah so it's they're quite a hub of uh, of communities mm. so there they are down the pub and lots of lots of what we now know is very famous things happened first in pubs. So the Freemasons were formed in a pub, yeah. in the Bruce and Gridiron. Well, not but the British Freemasons. And pubs at that time were incredibly important, as Ellen said, because mm. they were a place where people went to debate and exchange mm. information mm. and give out pamphlets. And basically, as you say, like a hub of the yeah. day. Yeah, and I think I think it's no coincidence that like if you go to most English villages, the oldest surviving buildings will be mm. the church and the pub. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And... Eventually, there were five sort of central plotters, 
and they were Catesby and Wintour with John Wright, Guy Fawkes and Thomas Percy. And they met together in 1604 and they took an oath. And it was an oath that they swore on a prayer book that they would never spill the beans. No. That they were committed and they were kind of, if you like, brothers in the conspiracy. Yeah, and then they took the Eucharist immediately, kind of sealing the deal, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah because quite by accident, um, there was a, a Catholic priest also in the pub who Catesby knew, and obviously he wasn't involved in the conspiracy. But what better for you, if you're Catholic, what better sign that this was omen, yeah. that this was something you should do, than the presence of a Catholic priest mm. who would give you the Eucharist as you sealed the deal. So the plot grew. The plot thickened. The plot, it did indeed thicken. And it kind of fell into Percy's lap a bit because the Earl of Northumberland appointed him to be one of the 50 personal guards of the king, of all things, which obviously meant that Percy now had, if you like, an in. Mm. He was the man on the inside. It meant that he was close to the king. He knew the king's movements. He had very access all areas, if you like. Mm. And it meant that there was nothing weird about him being in London and around the king and obviously knowing the king's diary and the mm. king's movements. Mm. Although he knew his movements, but wasn't the groom of the stool. He was not. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and Percy actually took as his servant, or pretended to take as his servant, none other than Mr Guy Fawkes. Mr Guy Fawkes. So now he too is on the inside. Because he just said, I, I like your pointy beard. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, yes, so... Um... So he took Guy Fawkes in as a servant and other members of the conspiracy also took new conspirators in and gave them roles. Mm-hmm. So Robert Keyes was taken in and he was given the keys to Catesby's house. And Keyes, Robert Keyes as well, he's like he's like quite a desperate man at this point. He was, he was ruined, he had yeah. debts. So he's thinking, as much as he might be thinking, well, you know, I'm a Catholic, I think this sounds like a good idea. He might also be thinking... And there might be some money in it for me. That's yes. that's useful. Yes, exactly. And he had a rather big responsibility because the gunpowder was going to be hidden at Catesby's house. So obviously Robert Keyes would have the keys <laughs> to the plot. And Catesby also took in Thomas Bates, who accidentally discovered the plot. And obviously, what do you do? Do you let him in on it? Yeah. If he's sympathetic, which he was, or do you say just don't tell anyone? So they let him in on it as well, because at that point, obviously, he's now got a vested interest in not telling anyone, yes. because now he's gonna die too. Ooh. But everything was planned, but plague got in the way. Yeah, this pesky plague. The pesky plague, because the um, plotters were planning to blow up the House of Lords when Parliament sat in February 1605. Mm-hmm. So we could have been celebrating Guy Fawkes Night in February. But or maybe they would have succeeded if it had been February. But the plague ravaged London. It always ravages, doesn't it? It always the ravages. The plague ravaged London. It ravages. It always it does. It ravaged. Yes. And that meant that the opening of Parliament was delayed until as long as October, which I think modern parliamentarians would quite like. They would. Although they, yeah, they seem to be quite fond of doing that. They do like to take breaks. Can we, just, can we just all go home? Yes, right, off we go. Bye. <laughs> Plague! Plague! <laughs> so they decided that, well, they didn't decide, they had no choice but to put the plot back. Yeah, so that would be annoying, wouldn't it? There you are, you're all, you're all arranged, you've all got you. And Catesby's there. I've got all this gunpowder under my house! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! And I think we quite often think that they just kind of, in some way, snuck into Parliament with all these gunpowder barrels. Yeah. We'll hide it in our shoes. <laughs> yeah, but actually, what they discovered was that there was an undercroft beneath the house of lords which was like you know vast storage space Mm -hmm. and there's a belief that they were going to dig a tunnel into it but this is something that actually only crops up in the prosecution records after torture and after quite a lot of torture yeah because there's that famous thing where you see guy fawkes signature signature, yeah before he was tortured and guy fawkes signature after and it's horrible yeah actually when you think how much he must have suffered yeah if you're going to assume the moral high ground don't torture people like that no exactly so there was there's this idea of a tunnel whether that's true or not we don't know um the prosecution said it was but obviously no tunnel has ever been found oh and it's a funny thing that it wasn't mentioned until multiple tortures had taken place. Yeah, I, I smell a rat. I smell a rat. But what the plotters did do is they actually decided to lease the undercroft 
in the House of Law, under the House <laughs> of Law. That. Can you imagine them doing that? Hi there, uh, we're Book just some dudes with some barrels of something. Yeah. We just Can we just put it under the House of Law? But if you think about the Palace of Westminster then, it's not like we see it now. Mm. It's nothing like... When you think of it now, you see this vast Pugian building. Mm. It's It wasn't that. It was essentially, you know, medieval. And, yeah. And if you think of old London before the fire... Mm. It was this warren, like yeah. a labyrinth of like, you know, tall teetering buildings. Yeah. Everybody was in really cheek by jowl. Because and- uh, if you look at like things when um, the printers and publishers in London, they all lived in buildings in and around St Paul's Churchyard. Yeah. Around what, you know, around the, uh, cath- the cathedral, which is amazing. You'd look mm. out the window and see someone being buried whilst, yeah. whilst typesetting. Yeah, and you look out the window and see someone being executed. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. But the Undercroft wasn't actually part of the House of Lords. This is how tight everything was. So it was actually um, owned by a gent called John Wynyard. And the Undercroft was... It's a bit of a funny thing because it goes under somebody else, under another building. Mm. But it wasn't a Lord's Undercroft, if you like. But it was usually... It's basically, I say, a storage space. like a basement, really. Yeah. But Wynyard's was apparently part of the old medieval House of Lords, or not what would have been a palace at the time. Mm. But it was up for grabs. Winyard wasn't using it, so they rented it. Yeah, so I'm just going to... Just moving in. Okay, what are you, what are you moving in? Just some... Just some barrels. barrels. It's wine. Barrels of wine. Open up wine, Linda's coming. <laughs> it was just some barrels of wine. So they ordered the gunpowder, and the gunpowder came and it was put into the undercroft. And at this point, if you if you were a conspirator, you'd just be there thinking, da, 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 we're gonna this is brilliant. We we've getting our barrels in under the house yeah, of Yeah, but Lord. the funny thing is that the government actually was supposedly monitoring supplies of gunpowder, but our lads managed to order three dozen barrels of gunpowder, <laughs> which they then stored under the house of lords without any questions asked. It's so, a health and safety nightmare. It's a health and safety nightmare. <laughs> but the plague didn't go away. No. And the plague kept on ravaging. Ding, and ding. miraculously, of course, all of the gunpowder conspirators survived the plague. Yes, which may, to be honest as well, at that point, they might be thinking... We're on a mission from God. Yeah, I'm being sp- I've been spared by the Lord, yeah. so I, I'm going to be doing... I'm on a and God's then mission. the fateful decision was made... <gasps> To delay the state open of Parliament until the fifth of November. So we're so all set. That gunpowder is under there for months. It's under there for months. This is a, this is just amazing, isn't it? Everyone's just like, Da-da-da. yeah, it's under. But I suppose it's just it's got to be stored somewhere. It's just yeah. sitting there. Yeah. And also, I bet Catesby's going. I'm quite glad that's not under my house anymore. But what happens when you leave gunpowder sitting around for months? It goes bad. Oh. So when the conspirators went to check on the gunpowder in Somerset, they found that it had started to deteriorate. Oh, dear. So they bought more. <laughs> and again, all will notice. But I suppose plague's going on, you've got enough to think about. Yeah. It might be going, I need some gunpowder to blow up some plague victims. <laughs> That's quite an extreme reaction. <laughs> yeah, that actually might make it worse. So they bought more gunpowder and they piled firewood all around it to conceal. Now, this is like, we're talking about like, a ton of firework. You know, you go down this like wall of firework. <laughs> nothing behind that. You know, nothing strange about that. But they were still at this no point. No one noticed. They've got firework. I know. They were still at this point bringing in new conspirators, and one of those was Ambrose Rookwood. Mm. There was also the absolutely marvelously named Everard Digby, <laughs> and there was Francis Tresham, who gives his name to Ollie oh, in the yes. Captain's Thirty Fireworks. Ollie Tresham. See, now you know where we get our characters' names from. Well, not you. Because you do that quite often, don't you? I do, actually, yeah. Um, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think because I, I kind of do genealogy and stuff in my spare time. So I have this kind of obsession with names and naming things. And I, lo- I like having like a little... And I, li- I like to think that maybe someone will read something and go, hang on a minute, I know that name. And they might or might not. I don't well, know. this is where I'll go to pick a name. Catherine just goes, Connor Smith. <laughs> No, I don't. I want to call him Rookwood. <laughs> I don't say call him Smith. There's nothing wrong with being called Smith. I've got good friends called Smith. So we now have all of our conspirators. And Tresham was actually Robert Catesby's cousin. And he was a bit of a a bit of a high roller. Oh. Again, like someone in our books. Like someone in our books. But he'd spent all his money. 
But he was also, as we say, as you would be, wouldn't you? You don't do this just for fun. They felt, believed very, very strongly in what they were doing. Mm. And the conspirators start, kept meeting and they quite often met in taverns mm. to finalise their plan. And what was decided was that Guy Fawkes would light the fuse. So that's why it's Guy Fawkes night. Uh-huh. Because he was the man with the taper, if you yes. like. And then he would flee across the Thames and they hoped that there would be a, a, a rebellion happening in the Midlands at the same time. You'd have to, I think you'd have to hope as well that the taper was long enough that you could get over the Thames before massive pieces of masonry started raining down over you. What would it be a massive piece of masonry? Because if they, if they blow up... The you wouldn't building, want to be too close. Yeah, you wouldn't want way. to be too close. And the idea was that the, at the rebellion in the Midlands, they would also, if you like, get their hands on Elizabeth... <laughs> Yeah, the Brummies across. Yeah. <laughs> I think of Nottingham, because I'm from Nottingham, so oh, Midlands to me. You're thinking of Nottingham, I'm thinking of Birmingham. Yeah, you're thinking of Birmingham. And the idea was then that once he'd crossed the Thames, escaped the masonry, Guy Fawkes would head off to Europe, and there he would visit powerful Catholics, the Catholic monarchs of Europe, mm. tell them what had happened, and essentially get everybody together, get them all on board. So the plot is really, let's weaken things so that we can so that the catholic monarchs abroad are going to go okay england is weakened we can go in now no no it was to put just elizabeth on the throne Ah, as a catholic monarch so it's to put a catholic monarch on the throne and then go to europe and go we're catholic now yeah so let's make lots of alliances but obviously not everybody in the house of lords on the day of the explosion was going to be a protestant and percy was particularly concerned because his patron was the i think it was was the earl of northumberland I think. Yeah. Henry Percy, the ninth Earl of Northumberland, who they were going to install as regent until Elizabeth became queen. Mm. So they were a little bit worried about, you know, we're doing this for the greater Catholic cause, but we can't really kill Catholics to achieve it. Mm. So they came up with an idea that they might warn some Mm. of the Catholics involved, which obviously, if you think about it, that's where you start to get a bit... Yeah. This is where you've got a leak. You've got a leak. Yes. At this point, you have got leak. And somebody, a stranger, if you like, gave a letter to Monteagle. Mm. And Monteagle was Tresham's brother-in-law. So I think we can maybe see where the leak began. Yes. <laughs> and the leak told him not to go to the House of Lords. Yeah, so don't It go. said, devise some excuse to shift your attendance at Parliament, for God hath concurred to punish the wickedness of this time. And essentially it said, if you go to Parliament, you're going to die. Mm. You're going to meet with some sort of horrible retribution. And the letter is very, it's it's very serious in its wording. And, you know, it, it essentially says, take this seriously. This is going to be a terrible act. Yeah. And he also said, please, could you make sure you burn the letter? Which he didn't. <laughs> so he, because he was, you know, a little bit worried about this. Yeah, thinking, it sounds a lot to me like something's going to go down at Parliament. Something's so. going down. So Something's he went off to down. tell some... So kicking off. Yes. He went off to see some important friends. And they suspected as well that Tresham might have something to do with it. Yes. But when word got back to the conspirators, Tresham said, nothing to do with me, Governor. But he also said then, but maybe we shouldn't do it. Yeah. Maybe we should abandon this idea. Yeah. So was it him? I don't know. Was he... Did he have cold feet? Was he trying to... I don't know. Ooh. Oh. Reverse, reverse, reverse. But now the letter's in the out. It's out. The secret is out. They don't know what, but they do know something's happening. Something. And they know it's the state opening, so they know when. They did someone go, you know, that (coughs) basement. Yeah, a big basement. (laughs) Though that firewood in it. (laughs) You know those guys with those big barrels. James I came back to London. He'd been away because obviously plagues. So he'd been off in the countryside hunting. He'd been having a fun time hunting. And when he got back, he was shown the letter. Oh, and he took it very, very, very seriously. So instead of going, oh, just dig- oh, block them. It's just some crank. Because yeah. this wasn't social. He media. said, we need to take this. but if you think about now, well, the House Parliament. I used to work there, hugely secure. Mm. But before any event that involves the Queen attending, they still do a massive security sweep. Yeah. And it's things like, you know, if there's a storm down the floor, it's taped so you can see it's been checked. Yeah. Everything, things are covered up, bins are taken away. They they did that in Birmingham when they had the G8 summit. They'll do it at the uni if yeah. anyone visits. And, and they even had, like, drains that they'd checked with, like, oh, yeah. with spray painted yeah. over to say they'd been down the drain to check no one had yeah. been putting anything so in So the there. King said, we need to take this really seriously. Yeah. And asked for someone to search the chamber. 
And it was agreed that that would be Thomas Howard, the first Earl of Sussex. And the idea was that he would, not the chamber, he would search the building, but he would search it all over. So underground, overground, wobbling, wobbling free. free. <laughs> he would search it everywhere. <laughs> and that's what he did. Yeah, so imagine his surprise. <laughs> imagine his surprise. So it's 4th of November and the plotters are getting everything ready for the big push. When Earl Suffolk, Lord Suffolk, goes into the undercroft... And there, what should he see? But a ma- with with one teagle. Let's get yes. straight. With but a massive pile of firewood and Guy Fawkes, who said, "This is now to do with me, mate." It's about as suspicious as a, a puppy sitting next to a puddle of water. Yes. So it's nothing to do with me. But why don't you ask my boss, Thomas Percy? He likes firewood. Yeah, we're just we're just you know it's winter. We're cold. What's interesting at this point is the searchers went okay. <laughs> And they left. But <laughs> Percy's name didn't go unheard because mm. he was known to be a bit of a radical Catholic. Oh. And when he went back and told the king that Percy had been mentioned, the king said, you got to go back yeah. and really look at this. And unfortunately for Guy Fawkes, he'd gone back too. So when the searchers returned that night, there he was. Dressed. Looking ready to go, basically. He's got his travelling stuff ready. He's, he's got his cloak and yeah, hat. He's clearly not a servant. He's clearly leaving. And at that point, they arrested him. And yep. he thought really quickly. And he said, when they said, what's your name? He said, John Johnson. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Isn't John Johnson the bloke from Miami Vice? No, that's Don Johnson. <laughs> or John Ronson. John <laughs> They just went, John Ronson, you did that really good book about psychopaths. Nice to meet you. They didn't do that. No, no because they didn't he said do that. John Johnson. Yeah. No, they just said you did that Miami Vice. But they said, clearly I'm not the man from Miami Vice because I'm not wearing rolled up sleeves. And it's the 17th century. Yeah. And what's Miami? Yeah. <laughs> so they arrested him. And then they started taking down the firewood and behold, 36 barrels of gunpowder and he I, said there's a beer on the wall yeah. hashtag awkward yeah gosh <laughs> and word spread like wildfire that john johnson had been arrested and when the other conspirators heard about it did they just go who's john johnson who no. do they mean guy when yeah. they heard about it boy did they panic <laughs> and they started fleeing i think we would all have fled i, think Sarah, I appear to have filled my baggy trousers but rookwood <laughs> Went after him. And he went after him at a hell of a clip. Because he's a badass, Rookwood. Yeah, and he went <laughs> after him. He was, like, flying. You know, people talk about Dick Dirt Turpin on Black Bess. He, he went. He did he 30 miles. He went bombing 30 miles in under two hours, and he didn't even change his horse. That's now, 15 miles an hour on a horse. Speaking of someone, yeah, who's ridden quite a lot, I really feel for that horse. That poor horse. And I feel for his saddle soreness as well. Gosh, he would have known about that. <laughs> He got off and walked like John Wayne. (laughs) Oh, girl. But he was determined to catch the conspirators, obviously. Yes. And in London, it was the talk of the town. Everyone was talking about it. But in a bad way. In a bad way. (laughs) Percy was arrested and his his patron, Northumberland, was also arrested. Ain't nothing to do with me, Gov. Nothing to do with me, Governor. No. Because John Johnson wasn't talking, but unfortunately for John Johnson... He had a letter to address to Guy Fawkes in his pocket. But he said, no, 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 I'm John Johnson. Guy Fawkes is a fake name. And he probably would go, Guy Fawkes does sound like a bit of a fake name, doesn't it, compared to John Johnson? But what was interesting is at this point, he also said, but I intended to blow up the king. So one can't help but wonder, well, you may as well just said I'm Guy Fawkes. Somewhere there's some guy called John Johnson just going... Don't drag me into this. Yeah, don't do me, Governor. But what he did do was he didn't drop anyone in it. He said, "I'm a, I'm acting alone. I'm a, Aww. you know, I'm a lone wolf." And well, the king was nice pretty impressed that. by that. Yeah. He was pretty impressed by that. But he wasn't convinced. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, over questioning and you know, famously torture, mm. they started to draw out the names of the other oh. conspirators. And it was interesting to note that torture technically... Well, it wasn't technically... Torture couldn't just be used without the king's express say-so. And the king said, 
do it. But he said that they should use gentle torture first. Gentle torture. And make it worse. Is that, is that basically gentle torture is they take off his shoes and socks and tickle his feet with feathers? No, I think talk, it's talk. like... Talk, talk! I think it's like stress positions and things like that. Oh, oh, waterboarding. No, that's, that that's not gentle, is it? No, waterboarding was what happened to me when my mum washed my hair when I was a child. <laughs> no, it's not. She didn't lay you back and put a loop flannel on your face um but yeah so the idea was that they would start with something small and they would work up if you like the rack mm. or you know that yes. level and on the 7th of november so you know we can't blame him for not lasting very long on the 7th of november he started to confess that's that's a he's that's a long period of torture going on there, it's a couple of it? days yeah. Day, yeah i mean it's i don't know you know 10 minutes is a long time yeah isn't it? and there's they they used sleep deprivation because they did that a lot with the witches later in the seventeenth yeah, century and would they they do it in teams yeah. so the, they would stop them sleeping by have and walking them backwards and forwards across cells and even that that's horrible before you then start using any instrument on a person but obviously once he'd named names then word got round of who's being looked for so the other conspirators they tried to find places to hide they went to family members but nobody wanted to help them. Because yeah. you can understand why. Yeah, because because you could be executed for you, concealing. Yeah, you are now part. If you do, you're part of the conspiracy, aren't you? Really. Mm. But obviously, this it's quite hard to hide if you don't have anyone willing to hide you. Yeah. And this is a time when people, you know, you could die for helping. Mm. So, hundreds of people, hundreds of troops were out looking for the conspirators, and one by one they were captured and brought in. Apart from Percy and Catesby, who were yeah. shot. Yeah, in you know, in the standoff, if you like. And to be quite honest, I think being shot was probably a better way to die than obviously we all know what happened to the conspirators. So the conspirators were taken to the Tower of London, and you can imagine what happened there. It was not a pleasant situation. No. But when they went to trial in Westminster Hall, which didn't happen until January the following year, they all pleaded not guilty, apart from. Digby, but Rookwood. Rookwood was a bit. He'd, Rookwood tried to wriggle out of it he by tried going to throw Catesby under the coach. Yeah, I, I, because of course Catesby's dead now. So he, so in a way, he could go well. Okay, Catesby, it doesn't matter in a way. I'm, I'm not. He's he, he's not going to be like sending Catesby off to be executed because he's already dead. He's so he dead. just said, "Oh uh, yes, I, I, he was. I I, I loved it. I loved Catesby. He was awesome, um, and and I was enlisted because because I was his friend. So he's kind of saying he he the the big boy made me do it. Essentially, what Rook was saying there. But strangely enough, you know, having been involved in like carrying big load of gunpowder and combustible things into a into a cellar with Guy Fawkes and the, and chums. He was found guilty. Well they were all found guilty. They were all found guilty. Yes. And they were all sentenced to death. And Digby, Wintour, Grant and Thomas Bates were, of course, hanged, drawn and quartered first, I believe. And the following day, the rest of the conspirators also went yes. to their deaths. Yes. And it's it's very sad when Rookwood was being taken to the execution site. His wife um, was leaning out of the window, and I find it very so. I think something when you think of uh, conspirators and, and people like that, you kind of forget they have got whole families. There's wives, there's well, kids. Well, this is well, this, so these are people, regardless of what you think, you know. Mm. And it's like I guess today when we talk about if you like extremism and whatnot, mm. that we, you know, I'm, this I'm not not to make this political because I'm really not going to. Mm. But this wasn't something that was like, you know, bank robbery. No. This was for to restore what they thought should be a religious status quo. Yeah, and and because they are so under the thumb that there's a tax on you if you're a Catholic. You get fined for not going to church if you're a Catholic. Your faith is being squashed out. Yeah. And that's that's what happens with people I think when people are put in sort of a, a position like that. Yeah. These things can happen, sadly. But. Yeah. I think you're right. And I and what's interesting as well is the conspirators that weren't actually executed. So Catesby and Percy died, but they weren't spared, if you like. Mm. In, sorry about the beeping, by the way. It's my phone. They weren't spared any indignity. So their bodies are actually decapitated oh. and their heads were exhibited. So it was, you know, they'd escaped the punishment, mm. but they hadn't escaped. You, they were used as an example. The other thing as well is at this time, obviously, people believed that if their bodies were not whole, if they were not buried whole, they wouldn't rise yeah. from the dead on Judgment Day. So 
Yeah. It's you know if you're you 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 have your head lobbed off, your body's your corpse loses its head, and especially with the I mean there, I'm sure you all know what happens when people are hung, drawn, and courted. You're eviscerated. You were denied the chance to rise up. Yeah. On Judgment Day, as people believed at that time, so it's really it's a it's painful and it's yeah. cruel on but a mental level. Guy well. Fawkes actually um, leapt off the gallows, so he wasn't actually alive for the drawing and the quartering. He died when he leapt, which was, you know, it's horrible, but yeah, ooh, you know, yeah. And they were executed opposite the building they were going to explode. They're going to blow up. So their last, the last thing they saw was the place that they intended to blow up. Yeah. So the last thing you see is your failure. Yeah. And also your guts. <laughs> and also your guts. Yes. So it's yeah, you know, quite a sad situation. Mm. But obviously, you know, that's not what the short story is about. But <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we didn't have any hang drawing and quartering at all. Another story. Not as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But obviously, the gunpowder plot became, if you like a bit of a, a morality tale mm. that be careful just basically you will be found out yes and you will be punished and you'll die for nothing essentially that's what it is isn't it that yeah. you've died and you've failed yeah which is quite grim but as the years went on the good the foiling of the gunpowder plot was celebrated more and more and initially you would there'd be church sermons and bells would be rung to celebrate deliverance but as the years went on it began to evolve into bonfire night as we now know it yes and bonf- well it didn't take too long actually to because you know the historic Britain historic England loved a bonfire <laughs> because you think about this as a very literally dark world yes so bonfires were not unusual anyway no. small fires you know bonfires illuminated the streets if you like there is some idea isn't there because it there's some people say that it's actually bonfire night sits around the time of a pagan thing which yeah. is to do with the time of year when it's getting dark yeah and you light a big fire and and stand around it and go mm. ooh, ah. Oh. and yes, the tradition so. in england obviously is to make a guy which is an effigy yes. of guy Fawkes, and to burn him Yes. So although when you're a child, I think you do think you're kind of celebrating Guy Fawkes. Yeah. You're pretty quickly disavowed of that. Yeah. So what we're actually celebrating is Guy Fawkes' failure. But it's interesting to me that it is Guy Fawkes. Mm. I, I do think there is a little hint of, of re- a slightly joyful idea of rebellion. Think there is now, yeah. yeah. But it's interesting because Guy Fawkes obviously wasn't alone. But he, no. I guess he was the man on the scene, if yeah. you like. And Catesby's night maybe didn't sound so good. Yeah, I don't know. Rookwood Knight. <laughs> well, Guy Fawkes obviously has become quite a famous symbol of anarchy Indeed and rebellion has. because anyone that knows V for Vendetta will know the Guy Fawkes mask, oh, yeah, which has become part of popular culture. So when we see protests now, there'll be people wearing that V for Vendetta Guy mm. Fawkes mask. Mm. And interestingly, the I can't remember which company it is, but the company that made the film owns the rights to that mask. So for everyone sold, they make money. Think how many that is. Oh. Hmm. So, but Guy, yeah, Guy Fawkes, I think, although initially you were celebrating the deliverance of the king and parliament, that I think now it's almost, it's almost a celebration, which is, the more I think about it, the more strange it is. Yeah, it's like, it's like bringing in the winter, isn't it? So it's like, yeah. it's, it's like you have, Halloween is on the 31st of October, yeah. then... Only a few days later, you get the 5th of November. Only a few days after that, you get Remembrance Sunday. So it's like it's all, there's quite a lot packed into only yeah, a couple of weeks. Yeah, there is, yeah. So that's Guy Fawkes Night. Yeah. That, there it is. That's why we celebrate Bonfire Night or Guy Fawkes Night. Yeah, so so, so if you are in America going, what is going on in this story? What, the, what are these mad British people doing? Now you know. But of course, I mean, fireworks are used all over the world for all different purposes. Oh, yeah, they are, they so, are. And just to put a final grim story on it, oh, yes. I'm going to say one of my favourite fireworks stories, but it's not actually nice, was there was a fireworks display in 1770 to celebrate the marriage of Marie Antoinette and King Louis XV. And they were going to have a massive party with this huge and impressive fireworks display. But all of the crowd crowded into this square to watch it and they were wooden terraces to sit on. But it was a windy night. Oh, dear. And wind caught the fireworks and blew them into the crowd. And they ignited the wooden seating and people tried to get out. But they couldn't get out because there was like a bottleneck. 
Uh, and as they were going out, more people were trying to come in to join the party. No, party yes, here! People yeah. are dying! And there was huge you know, numbers of injuries. The official death toll was something like 130. Goodness me. But eyewitnesses said that there were many more than that, and that was a bit of a massage, the figures. Mm. But there were terrible injuries as well, and permanent maimings and this kind of thing. As bad omens go... That's pretty exactly. bad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is pretty bad. And you know what's interesting? Originally, it was supposed to be on the um, the day of the marriage, but the weather was so bad on the day of the marriage they couldn't hold it. There Again, thunderstorms. Yeah, and there's you know they were saying that when Marie Antoinette was signing the register, there were the windows of Versailles were like rattling with thunder, and there was oh. lightning striking the ground outside. And we all know what happened there. <laughs> yes, and as we know, France still has a thriving monarchy. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, they're doing so well. <laughs> so there you go. So fireworks. And that's, you know, that's... that's And also, like, in England, there's all that nice tradition of your mum always saying, be careful with that sparkler. Don't wear gloves because it'll catch on fire. Oh, yeah. Write your name in the sky. And I've got nine <laughs> letters in my name. You can never get it all written. <laughs> and I don't want to be called calf, so I can't do that. So yeah. you just, you know, swirl. So there you go. Fireworks night. Bonfire night. Indeed. Also, One, there, is, there is a funny bonfire night thing, because you know... The- the Phil Collins song One More Night of course I do I there's know. quite a lot of small children who think he's actually singing about bonfire I've night I've never heard that is that true <laughs> yeah it's like, it's like take another piece of meat with you so there we go you can't see my face but I'm looking complex <laughs> and they said conflict then I'm, I'm looking complex cornflakes cornflakes <laughs> yes so anyway there you go so Catherine who's putting the fizz in your gin this week it's Roger Allen. It is. It's Roger Allen because I love well, I love musicals. That's no secret. And the first musical I ever saw very many years ago was Les Miserables, <sighs> when you could get top price seats for twenty five quid. What? I know. Can you? I don't know if you could get into that now for twenty five quid. But <laughs> I don't Roger Allen probably get a box of popcorn for twenty five. Couldn't. Was of course the original Javert. Oh. And I've been listening to a lot of Les Mis, so I've been listening to Roger Allen, and I've also been listening to City of Angels which everybody should know but it's not famous so go and listen to City of Angels or go and see it because I think it's at the many go and see City of Angels but he's not in it anymore Um, so that's why so it's Roger Allen who also musical theatre fact fans the second best chauffeur is Philip Quast Mm -hmm. an Australian actor and in La Cage Fall in the West End he and Roger Allen played two husbands Do you, think they, do you think backstage they had a, a Javert off? A Javert off. They're very, very good friends. Oh. But if anyone's seen Les Miserables, you'll know that when Javert commits suicide at the end, part of the stunt is to sort of fall onto one knee. And I read an interview with them where they said that they've all Javert's have got the same bad knee. Oh. And that Philip Quast blames, nicely because they're good friends, blames Roger Allen for his bad knee <laughs> because it was his idea in the original staging to have this particular manoeuvre. Oh, so okay. Javert's all have a bad right knee. There so you there go. you go. And I couldn't get tickets for that La Cage because it was only four months. Oh. And I wanted to see it and I couldn't get tickets because I wanted to see the two best baritones in the business playing husbands. He does have a lovely voice. Does, does and also, Roger actually, there's there's a Guy Fawkes connection because he is the voice of London in V for Vendetta in the film. So there we go, V for Vendetta, Guy Fawkes. Nevertheless, England prevails and all that jazz. Um, he is the thoroughly unpleasant voice of London whose nose looks as big as Big Ben. So there you go. And also Peter Mannion, the thick of it. Yes. So Peter Mannion grew into the voice of London. What's his line, Catherine? I'm bored of this. I'm going for a Twix. (laughs) (laughs) That's my message tone. You look, you didn't hear it today. And he is, of course, uh, in Endeavour. He is. Playing, as as he seems to like to play, uh, a sort of rather adult detective. Um... (laughs) And, and does it ever so well? And apparently, um, the filming has wrapped on the next series it of has. Endeavour. I'm very excited because I am a very, very big fan of Endeavour. I love it. So, my my yes. husband will be excited. I like Endeavour when I've seen it, but I have a very short attention span. <laughs> and also, I'm that annoying person on a detective show that I'm like, oh, it's obviously him, or maybe it's him actually. Well, I said it was him from the start. And then Rick will be like, that's actually the detective. Like, oh, oh no. <laughs> Did you know, actually, Roger Allen was nearly. Um, God. Bond. No, no. <laughs> Lewis in, in in Moss. What? There you go. My my mind is blown. I am. Um, anyone that knows me knows I'm a mind of useless showbiz information. Would you have played him as a Geordie? Because I can't remember in the books if he's a Geordie. I don't think. No, I think that's just the actor, isn't it? Is it just because they've gone, you were so good in Alfreda's own pet 
Yeah. He'd have just played him as a smooth-voiced detective. It would have been different, was it? Because I think, I think, Lewis, you have to have that the dour Morse and then the, you know, the chirpy, the chirpy Geordie. Yeah, I think you do. Yeah. I but think I, you do. And I think that was what Alan does quite well in Endeavour, is he kind of brings a little bit of the, the dour Morse to that character, so... Even though he's not, he's 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 kind of babysitting Morse. Well, better than Morse, way better. (laughs) So there you go. Everybody, go off and listen to City of Angels, original London cast recording. Do it now. Do it now. Out of the inkwell. Wow. (laughs) Sorry. Swallowed. The sound of the podcast demon fades away. Climbing out of the inkwell is the last edit on The Captain and the Squire, which is a, a very saucy rom. A bum-spankingly saucy rom. <laughs> there you go. That's every warning you need there about it's this a book. British rom-com. Just. It features a man in a hot tub, <laughs> a man in tweed, and not related to the man in the hot tub, a man in tweed, a feisty pig. A feisty pig. A feisty pig. And also... A rather saucy Elizabethan architect artifact. Sorry. <laughs> yes. But that's Captain the Squire, and that's due out in January. Jan- mid, mid-January. Mid-January. Yes. And not out of the inkwell, but waiting to go off the blocks is the Captain and the Best Man, which is it's not a rom com; it's a rom. They're taxiing. They're waiting. They're waiting clearance for takeoff they from, are, the, from ATC. <laughs> they are. They're in their dream. Oh, it's not a dreamliner. Sorry. They're in their seven seven seven. It's the captain and the best man, and it's a lovely love story about second chances and healing broken families. Yeah, uh, to be set honest, on a lovely island. If you, if you know, if, if December, there are a lot of Christmas romances out. We had one out last year, the the captain's Cornish Christmas. But if you want to escape to sunshine and luscious, luscious palm trees and luscious chaps. The the captain in the best man is probably where you need to go. It is. I'd say. You should go and pre-order it now. Yes. What are you waiting for? Oh, pre-order that first, then listen to City of Angels. Yes. Uh, and also, the captains, if you have Kindle Unlimited, the captains are all on Cap- uh, on Kindle Unlimited. They are. All the novels, so... They are, so we're spoiling you. Dive in. We are spoiling you. So, that's it. It's been, as ever, lovely to talk, and we'll see you soon. We won't. We'll... Talk to you Talk soon. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Find out more at our website, curzonharksdid.co.uk. And thank you, purple-planet.com, for the music. <laughs>